Hi everybody, this is AC with Time to Talk. I'm really excited to be back and talking with you all. I know that's been a little while, and so we're kind of getting back on the train to recording our consistent podcast episodes, but I'm really excited for today's topic. We're going to be talking about loss and grief within the Black community. Uh, Oftentimes, It goes and extends a long period of time, and I think it's really important that we take the time to sit with it and learn about it, and so I'm excited for all of you to be a part of that and to, you know, ask questions and listen and learn. And so collectively, like I said, we're going to be talking about loss and grief, but I also wanted to take time to talk about what's called the familial language of Black grief. The thing is, is that Black people often feel the pain and loss of Black life as if the person that passed away or that was brutalized or beaten, etc., was their own family. And so that connection is called familial grief. Because it could have easily been their own family member, their own friend, etc. And so there was an article that was done in the Atlantic by an author named Jamar Tisby. And she talks a lot more about this connection between familial language and Black grief. And I wanted to take a time to highlight that because we're in a time in our world where things are kind of been consistently broken, especially within the Black community. If you've listened within the first season, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about racism and the effects of brutality, etc. But this is kind of more steep. This is kind of the aftermath. Uh, you might remember when Freddie Gray died in 2015, and there was a lot of protesters who were present in West Baltimore. And when that happened, there's a lot of, there's this extensive image. It was by Young Hee Kim, I believe. And she took a picture of the protesters who were there over the death of Freddie Gray. And the intensity of that emotion, the intensity of the feeling was so great and it broke people down. And in that same context, just like with Unfortunately, all the other examples of police brutality, um, Breonna Taylor um, is another one where we see this emotional intensity and this connection to people, although they weren't directly related to us, they're related in the sense of grief and the sense of loss is so great. And so it does connect us. It does connect us to our roots. It connects us to, to who we are. And here's the thing. Psychologists say that laughter, it relieves stress, it reduces anxiety, but here's the thing, when you're caught in an instance of anxiety, how are you supposed to deal with that? And what I mean by that is grief is so big, it often is associated with the loss of Black life, but even in seeing of the videos where Black people have maybe lived but still experienced some level of disconnect like being pulled over there have been a number of times where i have been pulled over and it brings me great anxiety because of police brutalizing or killing unarmed black people our minds as human beings we feel so deeply and 
the thing is, is when we see these videos showing it, when we hear about it, when we experience it, not only is there a lot of rage that's associated with that, but other people want so quickly to reduce what's happening to hashtags. But we as black people, we feel what's going to happen next. And that fear is felt every day. So the thing is, is that police can stop us for any reason, right? I have a fear as a black non-binary person when I drive that a police officer is going to pull me over and is going to say, AC, AC fits the description of the person that I'm looking for. AC has a hairbrush. AC reached for something when they weren't supposed to, etc. And I think that that fear is rooted in grief. And the thing is, is if, if you had um, a lot of Black people and you were able to talk about what was going on, if you were to ask simply, hey, how many of you feel fear when you've been pulled over during a traffic stop? Or how many of you have had a case of mistaken identity? The, that would be so great because we are often patted down. We have to have our hands on the car. We answer, I don't know about y'all, but when I was young, I had a conversation with my mom and it was, how do you talk to a police officer? How do you, how do you respond when they want something out of you? And there are so many different forms of terror. And obviously, I've only experienced some. So these families and these people who have actually lost someone at the hands of police brutality, that intensified grief, um, is so hard because, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been, I've lived in fear. Yeah, I get scared when a police officer is around me. I, I'm scared when they pull me over. If I recount the memories that I have of being brutalized, by police, that's very small, but there is a likely fear of being brutalized simply because of the grief that we experience, that I experience. And when we think about that, this has been an issue for many decades that there's been these characterized interactions between law enforcement officers and Black people, uh, between people in positions of power, um, and black people. And there's just so much hardship when it comes to talking about these things. Um, there was an NBA player and that NBA player, um, his name was Steven Jackson. He was friends with George Floyd and George Floyd is, you know, there's been a lot of, he's been back in the news. Hi. He's been back in the news because a lot of the officers right now who are involved in his death are currently being sentenced. You know, one just got sentenced to 25 years last year, a couple of them being sentenced to two years. But I remember him talking, and it's also mentioned in this article that I mentioned earlier, where, um, 
Steven Jackson said, I'm here because they're not going to demean the character of George Floyd, my twin. You can't tell me that that officer didn't feel that it was his duty to murder my brother and that he knew he was going to get away with it. And the thing is, is like, <laughs> they knew each other for a long time. So I can imagine that that was very intimate for them. Those shared experiences and the laughter and the history that they had was what made them who they are, right? At the same time, when we maximize this, these shared experiences and the laughter and the history that these people's death has made with, and its impact on the Black community, then we begin to see the overlap between familial language and impact on Black grief. And it's hard because... When we look at family, when we look at Black freedom, we as Black people are under a consistent state of suspicion, under a consistent fear of violence from the law in America, and we still share um, a, kins a kinship, if you will, of chaos and loss. And in that is where we get this sisterhood, brotherhood, um, and as as the writer of this article states, um, you know, Jamar Tisby says suffering, right? That's, that's where we really get it. And uh, it's hard. We struggle together. We feel it together. We really have, we sit with it together. And that's what builds solidarity. But we don't choose, just like other people of color, we don't choose if we're, if we're Black, we don't choose if we're Latinx, we don't choose if we're Asian. People of color don't choose that. In the same sense, we don't choose our family. We don't choose this hardship. And <laughs> this article by The Atlantic um, also says that hardship is forced on us by the oppression that we endure in a white supremacist society. And I cannot not agree with that more because that is exactly what happens is we have this hardship that is forced on us by the oppression that we've endured, by the things that we've endured within the society. And Black people can relate to the experience of being policed, not just by law enforcement, but by any white person who can be an authority. And I think that's why that this becomes so great. When in 2013, when Trayvon um, Martin's killer was not found, guilty. I remember the uproar within the Black community. I remember President Obama's speech. I remember feeling that with such a gut-wrenching feeling because in his speech, President Obama said, I think it, I'm, I'm adverbing here, but I'm pretty certain he said something around the lines of, when Trayvon Martin was shot, I said that that could have been my son. 
And his use at the time when he was president, his use of that language of family, that that label of felt like he could have been my son, even as the president, even in his position of power as a black man, he felt that so intensely. I felt that so intensely. And we mourn together. We mourn, you know, all of our black siblings' lives. Um, we mourn at the thought of the acquittals, at the thought of people getting off. Um, and in the article by The Atlantic, uh, there there's a list of the author's feelings of it. Um, and I, I love it because Jamar Tisby talks um, in this article from The Atlantic, talks more about the death of Philando, excuse me, Philando Castile, and talks about what happened there, and man, like, labeling it as, in this article, labeling it as hearing about the death hurt like losing a brother, that's what the author says, I feel that, I feel like I could be in these situations, and that is what's so crazy about this idea of loss and grief, the thing is, is a police officer can perceive my black body the same way that they perceived other black bodies. Why is it that we have to neutralize black bodies using deadly force? That's that's the big part. Is like, what do we do with that? How do I have resolve? How do I handle that? And the thing is, is I'm not sure what the answer is. And even though this idea of familial language may be metaphorical, I know that the pain I felt seeing Sandra Bland, seeing Breonna Taylor, um, it's complicated, right? But I know that the pain I felt was real. And I feel like, obviously, the way that I experience pain and the way that I experience loss is not the same that these families of these people that have been killed it's not the same they feel it more intensely right it doesn't compare to what they've experienced but all I know how to do as a black person as a black therapist is to kind of say okay what is the best metaphor that I have in place that allows black people to express this grief that unites us and I love this idea of familial language you talking about black grief the thing is is it's complicated and the suffering is complicated we're not white people on a soapbox pretending to to respond to the world around us the movement for black lives it's going to have disconnect and arguments People are separated and against each other. And unfortunately, sometimes, even within our own community, people, Black people, reject relationships within their own community. Some Black people, some people in general, don't see issues um, like police brutality that are rooted in issues of oppression and racism. And some people think Black people want to just get ahead. <laughs> um, they only they only think that the way to get ahead in a white 
society, a white supremacist society, is to get away from black folks. And we say stupid things. In the article, it says all skin folk ain't kin folk. And that's so discriminatory. It takes away the pain that our ancestors have felt from slavery, from being put on ships, um, to now. And it, it's so problematic. It's so hurtful that it's it's like, what do we do with that? And the thing is, is like the, the biggest thing is that white supremacy, racism, black bodies, police brutality, it takes its toll on black people. And usually it almost always does mean that only one community will understand and gather around the other to say, this happened to us and we told you. <laughs> Black people are going to fight. Black people are going to disagree. Um, but one thing I've noticed about the Black community is, is that we tend to come together in times of crisis. We tend to come together in times of loss. And I would call what's happening with police brutality, I would call that a crisis. We have a crisis in this country of police brutality, uh, which has once again given cause for black people to gather in defense from one another, right? That's why you see an outpouring of support from people who are British and black. That's why you see an outpouring of support uh, for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, because they have biracial children of American and British um, descent. We gather in defense of one another because we are family. And for example, like I see Sassy Black Social Worker here. I, I've, you know, the, the relationships I've made with other Black professionals on this app in general um, have been tenfold. Because the truth about racism in this country is that there's a lot of people that are complicit for the loss. But the relationships I've made with other BIPOC creators, with other professionals, with writers, artists, etc. is at the end of it, we're going to all come together. Is that loss and grief in the Black community shows that we do not have the privilege nor the time to grieve. And it, it becomes relentless over and over again. We there, There's an article by Dr. Board um, who focuses on research of Black youth affected by grief, gun violence, racial trauma. The thing is, is that our normal grief responses as Black people, as a result of being marginalized and as a result of racism are not met with the support that we need. It's met with negative labels and consistent punishment. And because of that, we break down, we become affected by loss in unique and painful ways. And thus it creates these trauma responses that are so hard to get out of. If we look at COVID, and we look at the start of the pandemic, black people were 2.3 more times more likely to die from COVID. And the grief that we felt as a result of this loss was harrowing. It became relentless. It became hard. It became, it became something that, be, you know, that we 
experienced. And it's good that you value your diversity. The thing is, is that in we we by by mid COVID we had already lost over two hundred thousand people. And grief in this country had always had an equity problem, but by twenty twenty, this idea of grief had only become more amplified because black death increased. We're still having brutality. We're still having back to back hits. We had issues with coronavirus, police brutality, racism, natural deaths of people we loved. And as we experienced that, as it intensified, as one person passed, we began to struggle more and more. And um, that was that was hard, is that we became we became in the middle of this bereavement crisis, this grief crisis. And we, you know, as, as this continues and as we continue to struggle and it becomes more exasperated and we become more exhausted, the question then becomes, what do we do with that? 